from New Christian Life Church, located at 7828, where the pastors are Richard and Emma Butler. of the hour, Minister Jocelyn Gary. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yes, give God praise. Give Jesus praise. Give Jesus praise in the house. Amen. Amen. Y'all could do better than that. Give Jesus praise. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 If you have your Bibles, before you take your seat, if you could turn to Luke chapter 22. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Luke 22, we're going to, how many of you love Jesus? Yeah, I I love him so much. I love him so much to the point where I told him, I said, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do when you want me to do it. Uh, Because I truly believe that God gives, he gives us the strength that we need for the journey. Somebody say strength for the journey. So that means no matter what he calls you to, no matter what he's given, placed in your hand to do, he will give you strength to do it. Amen. Strength to do it. He gives you strength. Hallelujah. St. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verses 19 and 20. We're going to talk about the communion. Amen. The communion. Verse 19 says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it. And gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20 says, Likewise, also the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Amen. You may have your seat. The New Testament. The New Testament in my blood, the New Testament. That's the part that grabbed me and gripped me the most was the New Testament, the New Covenant in the blood of Jesus. Amen. So when we talk about the communion, the communion is very powerful. The communion is very sacred. The communion is something that you do not take lightly. You take wholeheartedly. Amen. You have a reverence, or we should take the communion. When we take communion today and any other day, we should take it with a reverence in our heart unto the Lord God Almighty. We should take it remembering what he has done for us. Amen. In Luke 20, in the 19th chapter, Jesus said, And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So when we are remembering and when we are partaking of the communion, we should remember Jesus. Why is it important that we remember Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why? Why is it important that I remember you, Jesus, and remember what you did for me? Well, one of the first things is if you do not remember 
what God has done. If you God, if you put it out of your mind, you limit the Lord God. Amen. In Psalms chapter seventy eight, forty one through forty two, he said to the he said to the children of Israel, he said in Psalms, he said, They limited the Lord God of Israel because they remembered not his hand. They did not remember everything that God had done for them when he brought them out of Egypt. Mm. So because they didn't remember, they limited God. So we have to ask ourselves, do we want to limit God in our life or do we want God to be God? Amen. Do we want God to be all that he is in and through us and around us? Amen. Ask your neighbor and say, what do you want God to be in your life? Do you want to limit him? Or do you want him to break free? I want him to break free. I do not want Father God to be limited. When we do not remember him, we put him in a box and he cannot do many mighty works because what happens is when you don't remember, it affects your belief. It affects your belief in God. And in the scriptures, it tells us that Jesus was unable to do many mighty works in his own homeland because of their unbelief. So it's important that we remember him. Amen. So it says here, it says that he gave thanks and break it and gave it to them. This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So what should we remember? What should we remember? The first thing that we should remember that the Holy Spirit gave me, and if you're writing notes, please write this down. Please take it down. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is what the Holy Spirit gave to me. Amen? The first thing that you remember is that the, you remember the love Jesus has for us. Remember his love. He loved us so much that he gave his life just for you. And he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to. Think about it. Jesus, Father God, is the great creator, the great I am, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, the all-knowing God. And when Adam Adam and Eve sinned, God had every right or could have said to, to himself, And to the Holy Spirit, okay, we're just going to start over. Fact, he thought about doing it in Genesis. He thought about doing it. He said, I'm just going to wipe man out. He did. But he changed his mind. He He remembered his covenant in Genesis. Hallelujah. So he could have said, that's it, I'm starting over. But he did not. He said, I got to make this right because he gave authority over to Adam. So he said, all right, I got to come. I got to make a way for you, for man to be reconciled back to their rightful place. The love of God. He loved you so much that he knew you would be sitting here in 2019, November the 3rd in 2019, and he said, I can't start over because I know Sister Brown is going to be sitting in New Christian Life Church. So I got to make it right because I need her and I need everybody else in there to be connected to me. Amen. So turn with me to Hebrews 
And this is about this is what you remember when you take the communion. Hebrews chapter 12, we're just going to look at one verse. Hebrews 12 verse 2. got a new Bible, y'all, so if you're on a flip pages. <laughs> Hebrews 12 and 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is what I want you to focus on. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the part I want you to really look at, yes, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. But who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He loved you so much that he endured the cross. He endured the beatings. He endured the scourgings. Why? Because he was looking at the end goal. You know how even we are as people, when we have a goal in front of us, we, we do everything that we can in our power to make sure we accomplish that goal. The joy that was set before him and the goal that was set before him was, number one, to do the will of the Father, which in turn brought us back into right standing with God. He reconciled you. When he was enduring, when he was beaten, when he was carrying the cross, when his flesh was torn, when the thorns were placed on his head, when he sweated blood from his brow in Gethsemane, when the thorns were placed and he th- sweated and, he, and blood came streaming down, he was thinking about you and I. He wasn't thinking about, man, this hurts. He wasn't saying, I can't wait till this is over. He was enduring the cross. He went through all of that for the joy that was set before him. You were the joy that he saw. We in this place was the joy that he saw. He got great joy because he saw the end result. And the end result was you saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in you, God dwelling in you. You're dwelling in him. And you're taking your rightful place in the authority on this earth. That's what he saw. He saw you speaking things into existence. He saw you using the very power of God that is in you. He saw you laying hands on the sick. He saw you casting out demons. He saw you doing these things. He saw you. That was his joy. And because he saw you accomplishing great things and he saw you allowing God to accomplish great things through you, he said, I got to go through this. I have to endure this. Yes, I know they're rejecting me. Yes, I know they're bruising me. Yes, I know that the cat of nine tails is driving into my flesh and ripping it out. But I got to do it because I see them operating just like I created them to operate. These are the things we remember when we take the communion. We remember and reverence who Jesus is and what he did for us. Hallelujah. We remember. Touch your name and say remember. Remember. 
through his actions, he restored us. Hallelujah. Turn to John 6. The other thing you remember, not only that he loves us and he gave his life when he didn't have to. But he is the living bread. When we partake, John chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 51. Jesus is the living bread, living bread, living, living. That's key. Living bread. He's living. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He came from heaven. He didn't come from anywhere else. He came from heaven. He came from the very presence of God. In fact, he is God wrapped in bodily form. Jesus is God. He came from heaven. He came from where everything that we need is. He came from the very substance of which we are created, uh, that we are, he is. He came from heaven. Tell yourself, say, Jesus came from heaven. He didn't come from Boynton. He didn't come from Delray. He didn't come from Mississippi. He did not come from Cleveland. He did not come from Greece. He came from heaven. He came from heaven to Jerusalem. He came from heaven to Bethlehem. So although in the census it is written that he was born in Bethlehem, he still came from heaven. Heaven. Heavenly substance. You don't take it lightly. Don't take him lightly. Don't take the communion lightly. It's reverence. He came from where? Heaven. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live how long? Forever. And the bread that I will give is what? My flesh which I will give for the life of the world. He is living, living. He's not lifeless. He's active. He's active. So when you take of the bread, I know it's a wafer, but what you should remember is that Jesus came from heaven and he gave his flesh. And then because he gave his flesh, when you eat of the bread, he is, he is living on the inside of you. Hmm. When you cut covenant, and we'll get into that a little later, you cut a covenant, then everything that that person is, you become. Everything that he is, we've become. The bread of life is living. He's active. He's moving. The very zoe of God, the very life of God is on inside of you moving and acting that's why he said you can be healed if you believe because the very power the very life of God that creates and heals is on the inside of you so when you partake of the bread you're partaking of his body and you're partaking of life that's in his body he says he's living he's what he's living verse 52 says the Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us this, his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Except you eat the bread and you drink the blood, you have no life. Life. When we partake of the communion, we are partaking of life. We are partaking of God's Zoe life. This is why it is very reverent, very respectful. You do not take it lightly because it is the very life of God that is coming on the inside of you. And except that you eat it and you drink the blood, you will have no Zoe. You see how much God, Jesus, loves us? He loves us so much that he instituted this communion fellowship. So that as we take it, we take life. His life. He's living. Tell your neighbor, say, take his life. Now, the other thing, when, when you are active, so... So I tell, told you before that because he's active, that means he's engaged and he's involved and he participates in your life. He wants to be engaged. He wants to participate in everything, everything. He wants to participate in how you think. He wants to participate in how you speak. He wants to participate in how you interact with people. It's not just what we come to do on Sunday when we come in this church. He wants to participate every day of the week. Even when you are on your job, he wants to participate and engage in your life. He wants to tell you what to do. He wants to tell you how to do your job because when you listen to him, then you excel. The life of God. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath how, what kind of life? Eternal life. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up it at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in where? And I in? When we partake of the communion, I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me. So why can't we be healed if he's in us? <laughs> why can't we live free if he's in us? See, these are the things you remember when you take the communion. You don't take it like you, you remember. These are the things you put in your mind. That, Jesus, I'm in you and you're in me. I'm in you and you're in me. If I'm in you and you're in me, then I'm unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. Yes, the, the enemy will come against you. And this is why in Isaiah 54, 17, it can say, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. God can tell you that and promise you that because he's in you and you're in him. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 57. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, taketh the communion, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from where? Heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. Shatarabaseke. Uh huh. Say it again. He that eateth of this bread shall live what? Forever. Those that ate the manna under the old covenant are what? Dead. They were not connected to Jesus. They were not connected back to the Father. But under the new covenant that Jesus established, hallelujah, we shall live where? Forever. <laughs> Eternal life begins here. It begins now. It's not in the sweet by and by. It is where? Now. Because of the communion. Because of the new covenant. These are the things we remember when we take the bread, when we drink the wine, I am a new covenant. I am living forever. It's not something that I need to worry about if I'm going to live right in this world like some religions and then die. And I didn't live good enough before, so now I got to come back and do it all over again. Come on now. Our God once and for all. <laughs> Eternal life now. Touch your neighbor and say, eternal life is now. Jesus said, we can live forever. And, and the other definition of this word, living in life, is endless in the kingdom of God. Endless in the kingdom of God. So here you got the great creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is endless. In the kingdom of God, there is no ending. There is no beginning. We don't know when he began. We don't, he, we don't even know when he's going to end. He came from heaven, and he said, okay, now I am your living bread. And as you eat of me and drink of this blood, now you have that same life where there is no ending and there is no beginning. Hallelujah. This is an endless in the kingdom of God. He starts you out. Isn't that wonderful how he starts us out here on this side in the kingdom? He don't wait until we get to the sweet by and by. He don't wait until you die to say, now you're a part of my kingdom. He said, no, you're a part of my kingdom on this side. Endless on this side, because I need you to expand my kingdom. Amen. So when you eat of his body and you drink of his blood, there, there is life. With life, life, you're, you're strong, you're full of vigor. There's, there is absolute fullness of life. Mm. Everything that is essential in God is now in you. you I'm going to say that again. Everything that's essential in God. Everything that makes God who he is, is in you. Think about that. Some, that that's that's kind of big to get to wrap your mind around. This is why we got to re renew our mind in the word of God. Because everything that God is, is in you. 
everything. He didn't leave anything out. Everything that he is. God is love. Love is in you. So you can love people. God is love. God is strength. It's in you. You have strength for the journey. God is full of vigor. It's in you. God is energy. He's in you. How do you know? Because he said, I have given you the ability. I've given you dunamis power. That's his ability. That's his energy. That's his power to, to do great exploits on this earth. God is in you. God is a creator. That's why he told you you can have whatever you say because he's in you. So it's important that we watch what we say because we are creators by the nature of God. So if we say the wrong thing, we're going to have what? The wrong thing. If we say the right thing, we'll have what? The right thing. That's kingdom living. That's why God tells us to renew our mind because we cannot just release any old thing with our lips. Because you are a creator by the nature of God. You. You. Touch your name and say, you. You are a creator. You got to watch what you say. Mm. The very nature of God is on the inside of you. So every time we take communion, we must remember that we have the very life of God in us. Turn to Isaiah 53. I got to get through this because I want to give you guys everything that the Holy Spirit gave me. Isaiah 53, verse 4. We're going to see, this is the other thing that we need to remember. That he, his body was beaten and wounded for our rebellion against God. He didn't rebel. Mankind rebelled. But he took the beatings that was meant for us (laughs) that we really should have gotten. But By the mercy and grace of God, we didn't because Jesus loved us so much. He said, God said, okay, I'm going to come down. I'm going to send my son so they'll take, he'll take the beating and the scourging on their behalf. Think about this. I just want y'all to think about this. Can you imagine if that didn't happen, right? They had the blood of bulls and goats that was going all the time, all the time, sacrificing all the time, all the time. God could have been like those other demonic entities that required human sacrifice. I really want you to think about this, but he did not. Even when he told Abram, Abraham, he said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. What did he do? No, he had a ram in the bush. Can you imagine if God would have required somebody to die every year? But he didn't. This is what we remember. He loves you so much. You are his creation. You're made in his image. He didn't. What did he do in the Old Testament? He found a substitute, bulls and goats. 
And then he said, you know what? That blood ain't enough. So what did he do? He sent his own son. Mm. To take our punishment. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely. No, I'm going to start at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus. We, as in humanity, hid our faces from Jesus. We didn't want to look at him. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. And we didn't even respect him. Didn't give him the honor that he was due when he walked his earth. You know how you feel when people disrespect you. You've been ready to fight. Were you dissing me? Uh-uh. No, they, you got to know who I am, and you ready to just lay everything down and tell them all off. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. They rejected him. They disrespected him. They hid their face. For, they didn't even want to say that they knew him. Hmm. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was, what, wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions, for our rebellion. He was bruised for what? Our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But look what he did. In exchange for our rebellion, in exchange for our sin, in exchange for our iniquity, it says here, and with his stripes we are healed. That was the exchange. He was beaten for our rebellion, but we get healing. He was bruised for our iniquity, but we get healing. We get life. The joy that was before him was us living a life, a, a, a healthy life, a divinely healed life, a life full of joy and vigor and strength. He was beaten so we could get life. His body. His body. His body. Touch yourself and said, and with his stripes, I was healed. <laughs> that was the exchange. The exchange. His body was bruised and I'm healed. He took my place, and I get to live. I get to live. This is what you remember when you take the communion. Let's flip back to Luke 22 and 20. I've got to pick up. I've got to pick it up. They didn't even want to hear what he was teaching, some people. When Jesus started talking about this covenant and communion, there were people that turned their back and said, okay, that's a hard thing. I can't even do that. 
and they stopped following him. They stopped following him when he started talking about the communion, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They, they, they really did. Luke 22 and 20, it says, And likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The New Testament. Testament is covenant, the agreement. There's a new agreement that the blood of Jesus ratified or confirmed. There was the old agreement, the old covenant under um, Abraham and <clears throat> Isaac and, uh, and all of them. He had a covenant with them. But then when Jesus came on the scene, he said, okay, I'm going to give you a new and better covenant. Amen? Amen. So the blood of Jesus is what, re what ratifies it, what confirms it, what secures this agreement. So if you're writing, I want you to write this down. This is, this is a blood covenant. The first thing you need to understand about a blood covenant is that it can never be annulled. Ever. Nothing can change it. Nothing can change it. Nothing can change the covenant. Touch your neighbor and say it can never be annulled. Never be annulled. Okay. And the other, there are three things I want you to, to, to write down about a blood covenant. The first one is there are three basic things in a covenant. The first one is love and devotion. In order to establish a covenant, or you'll hear the term cut a covenant, because the word uh, covenant in the Old Testament, it literally means to cut because blood flows when you enter into a blood covenant. What it is, it's love and devotion. You have to love and devote yourself to that person you are in covenant with. It's an expression of dedication forever. Endless. Didn't we say before endless? Endless in the kingdom. It is a dedication forever. When you go into it and you enter into a covenant, you are saying, I am with you for the rest of my life. As long as I'm alive, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. Isn't that what Jesus tells us? He says, I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. That's the first basic thing of a covenant. It is devotion and love. He, is, he loves you and he's devoted to you. Say, touch yourself and say, Jesus is devoted to me. Hallelujah. Second thing, protection. Under a blood covenant, and these are things you remember when you take the communion. Protection. The strong become available to the weak. I'm going to say that again. The strong become available to the weak. So when you are in a covenant with someone, that means whomever is stronger Okay, the example of the warrior and the farmer. You have a warrior, you have a farmer. The farmer is strong in growing what? Food, right? And the warrior is strong in fighting, right? So the warrior needs somebody to give them food, amen? So they cut a blood covenant and they become one family. And the warriors will go out there and fight as long as the farmers are growing their food because the farmers are not fighters. So other tribes, other people could come in and fight and tear up and take all of their stuff because they're not fighters. So when you are in a covenant and that becomes protection, 
I told you, I said the strong become available to the weak. So as the farmers are farming, if there is another tribe that comes against those farmers, then what the warriors will do, they will take on the war. Because the farmers are weak. So what happens when we're in covenant with God? We're not stronger than God. God is stronger than what? Us, right? So when the enemy comes in, God, like a flood, lifts up a standard against the enemy because he's stronger. My God. This is why we serve the Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle, because he goes to battle for us. He gives us the ability to speak with our mouth what we need, and the angels and reinforcements go into battle. Because of the blood covenant, mm, the stronger takes up for the weaker. God takes up for us. This is what we remember when we take the blood and we, we drink the wine. Amen? The other thing is equality. One will not take advantage of the other. When you are in a blood covenant, when you are in covenant with somebody, the other person does not take advantage of the other. You're one. You become one. Didn't we just read, I and him and he's in me? We're one. So God is not going to take advantage of me. So you don't have to worry about that. God, are you going to tell me to go do something I don't want to do? God, are you taking advantage? Are you just taking my money, God, when I give my tithes and offering? No, God is not taking advantage. You are in covenant. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say, I am in covenant. So if you could, uh, Robert, if you have that PowerPoint, if you could just um, pull that up for me, Galatians 3. Because... These last two scriptures we're going to go over. If you could turn to Galatians 3, start at chapter, uh, verse 13. I, I'm, I have up here posted the Passion Translation because I, I, just, I love it. The way it broke it down, it was just so good, and it made it really, really plain. So under, when you are in covenant, in all three of those things that I gave you before, all three, all that one has becomes the property and the possession of the other. I said that to you earlier. Everything that Jesus has is in us. It, it becomes our possession. Amen. So under the old covenant, there was a blessing and a curse. But Jesus became the curse because he's establishing this new covenant. This is what you remember when you take of communion, the establishment of the new covenant. So in verse 13, it says, and this is the Passion Translation. It says, yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. The full price that he paid was his being beaten. He gave his life. That was the full price for us to be set free from the curse of the law. If you want to know what the curses are, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In the first beginning of that, you get the blessings. In the second part, you get the cursings. If you do this, then I'll be good. If you don't, then this is what will happen to you. This is what Jesus delivered us from. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. 
For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Meaning that when Jesus hung on the cross, the curse came upon him. Go to the next verse, please. Verse 14 says, Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place and in so doing dissolved the curse from our lives so that all the blessing of Abraham can be poured out even upon even non-Jewish believers. So he dissolved the curse from your life. He took it away. You're no longer cursed. (laughs) We're free. He took it away, even off of non-Jewish believers. You don't have to be Jewish to be a part of the kingdom. This is what Jesus did for you. Hallelujah. This is what you remember when you take the blood. And now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in him. Next verse. Beloved friends, let me use an illustration that we can all understand. Technically, when a contract is signed, it can't be changed. After it has been put into effect, it's too late to alter the agreement. Technically. Technically. Go to the next verse. Remember the royal proclamation God spoke over Abraham. We're back in Genesis. And to Abraham's child, God said this, his promises were made to pass on to Abraham's child. In the King James, it said Abraham's seed. You have, it, you have your King James there. It says seed, one seed, not multiple, not plural, seed. So here it's saying it was made to pass on Abraham's child, not children. Who is this child or who is this seed? It's the son of promise. It's Jesus, the anointed Messiah. Next verse. So that was the royal covenant. This means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in Messiah and cannot be altered. First point. The covenant cannot be altered. It was fulfilled in the Messiah. Yet, The written law was not even given to Moses until when? 430 years later, after God signed his contract with Abraham. Hmm. The law then doesn't supersede the promise since the royal proclamation was, was given before the law. In other words, God gave his promise to Abraham 430 years before the law was even in existence. So therefore, the law cannot supersede the promise. This is why we needed Jesus to come and die so that we can have that promise as non-Jewish believers. Next verse. If that were the case, it would have been nullified that what God said to Abraham. We receive all the promises because of the promised one, not because we keep the law. This is the new covenant. When you take the bread, when you drink the wine, this is the new covenant. Next verse, why then was the law given? It was meant to be an intermediary agreement added after God gave the promise of the coming one. It was given to show men how guilty they are, and it remained in force until when the seed was born to fulfill the promise given to Abraham. When God gave the law, he didn't give it to them directly, for he gave it first to the angels, They gave it to Moses, his mediator, who then gave it to the people. 
Now, a mediator does not represent just one party, but God fulfilled it all by himself. I'm going to stop there. It's so much more in there. God fulfilled it all by himself. He fulfilled it through Jesus. This is what we remember. This is what we remember. And because of Jesus, we are now called Abraham's what? Seed. We're his seed now. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Under the new covenant, I'm going to give you this last point and, and, and I'm going to let you go because there's so much more in this. But under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus gave us remission of sin. Remission of sin. What remission is, is release from bondage. Release from imprisonment. So under the new covenant, we don't have to be a prison to our sin anymore. We don't. Tell your neighbor, say, you don't have to be a prison to your sin. In fact, you're delivered from all sin. So I really, yeah, I said that wrong. You don't have to be, it's not your sin, it's just sin. You're not, you don't own sin, sin doesn't own you. Amen? Amen. So when you take the bread today and from here on out, from here on out, because Jesus said as often as you do it, you don't have to wait till every first Sunday to do it. You can do it in your home. You can do it every day. You can do it three times a day, five times a day. It doesn't even matter. But Jesus said as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. You do it in remembrance of me. You remember those things that Jesus did for you. You remember those things that he He gave you. You remember that when you take the, the, the wafer and you drink the blood, you're taking life. It's life. Life-changing. You're in covenant. It's, it's, it's your covenant with Jesus. Amen? It's, it's not something, it's just not juice and a wafer. You know, not just juice and a wafer. It's, it's a representation. It's a reminder. It, it's an action, an outward expression of your covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet.